As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Welcome, everybody, to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Sternke. I'm one of your co-hosts today, along with Matt Tebby. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Hey, I am also co-hosting. Yes, and uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, I had a short week because we went on a little fall break trip to New York City. Mm-hmm. Heard of it? Cool. I have. Yeah. I have heard of fall break. And uh, New York City, I've never heard of that, though. It's, it's actually <laughs> growing. It's becoming more and more popular. <laughs> Worldwide, worldwide. Uh, yeah, we went to yeah, New York City. Fun. Saw some. That's fun. Saw a couple of Broadway I like shows. New York City. That was fun, and mm-hmm. also did a lot of walking and a lot of sightseeing, and did a lot of work in four days. So, a lot of work. Yeah, it's a vacation in New York is not a. Uh, you you got to keep your wits about you and keep walking and go to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. So we did. You know, yeah, and, great. And we got a little. We have a nine-year-old girl, and she. Uh, it, I saw New York through her eyes, which is. New York is loud hmm. and big uh-huh. and uh-huh. dirty with lots of rats. <laughs> and so most of the time we're walking around and That's I can only, I can just see her from like the bridge uh-huh. of her nose up because she's wearing a mask and uh-huh. her little eyebrows were furrowed so much. <laughs> she was scowling so, at New York City a little bit. <laughs> we're, st- we're standing on the subway platform and uh, sh- her... She points over there. She goes, Dad, what is that? And I look over there. Someone had defecated on the oh. subway. Like, it was like that, like <laughs> 24 of those kinds of things. Yeah, Honey, yeah. it's okay. This We're fine. We were walking down the street and like rats are running across the sidewalk. Like, 
almost under our feet. <laughs> just the whole time. Uh, poor girl. Oh, man. Poor girl. I mean, yeah. I don't like to see, uh, you know, those kinds of things either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but, you know, a nine-year-old girl. But for her, it was a little, yeah, shocking. She'll work it out for $125 an hour, 10 or 15 Later years. on yeah, in yeah, life, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll work yeah. This one time, my dad took me <laughs> to a... Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so I'm back. I'm back from um, that. And now we're, very, now very we're on good. fall break. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. And look that. at this. I'm glad look who joined us. Back from that and on a fall break. And Christy Penley. Just popping in. <laughs> what the world? Hey, we're just right popping in. Like a champ. I know. I know. I was just about to transition from Matt. Matt talked about uh, his... Um, uh, fall his, break trip. Uh, trip to New York. Yep, fall break trip. And then I was just about to transition into the next uh, part of our intro here, and I was going to lament the fact that your internet wasn't working, Christy. And I that know. was the reason you couldn't join us. And right as soon as I was about to do that, lo and behold, your pink headphones and your Listen, cheerful face. Third time's a charm. Yeah. That's what I got to say. Awesome. Third time's a charm. Oh, well, I'm glad so. you're here. Um, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, because he, here's what I was going to say about you, Christy, is that you have a knack for encouraging words. We've mm-hmm. talked about this before, right? That you just, you text us randomly and you're just like, you guys are great. And you're just really yes. encouraging. And um, it's something that I want to learn from you. So to that end, um, I found this on the internet the other day. It is a pep talk generator. <laughs> <laughs> it's got four columns. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's got four columns and you just pick a, you pick a phrase from each column and it's like a, a, a way to generate like a random sort of uh, pep talk. And so I thought of you, Christy, when I saw this, because I was like, oh, this is, this is like a, a more amped up way of Christy <laughs> talking to you. Um, so I'm going to use this. Do you guys have a copy of it? Did I, did oh, I send a it. link to it? I, uh, I just yeah, thought I it right would be here. fun for us to encourage each other. Just give each other a little pep talk. So we'll just go around in a circle. Uh, Christy, I'm going to give you a pep talk. And then Christy, you give mm-hmm. Matt a pep talk. And Matt, you give me a pep talk. And we'll all be, we'll all be pep talked up. And listeners, you guys can receive <laughs> three of these pep talks. Just assume mm-hmm. they're for you. Um, and hopefully we'll feel better about our days whenever you're listening to this. All right. So Wait, Ben, did you pre-pick these? Because I'm no, just looking at. No, the, okay, I'm, I'm good, totally. Good, good. It's going to be totally random. It's going to be picked. Okay. Uh, at the time of speech. All right. You ready? Perfect. Perfect. Yep. All right. So Christy, I'm receiving it. Here we go. Know this. <laughs> so you can start laughing. Know this. That's column one. Know this. That saucy personality roars like a lion. <laughs> That's just science. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Here's mine. <laughs> okay, Matt. Here's yours. Get ready, Matt. Here's yours. Mm-hmm. Ready? Okay. Everybody's saying your soul reigns magic. <laughs> and that is a fact. <laughs> I, everybody is everybody saying this. Saying, everybody's saying that. That's such a funny way to start it. All, All right, right Ben. Excuse me, but that brain of yours gets the party hopping for reals. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, feel better already. I feel better already. All right, listeners, this one's especially for you. You can take any of those if you want. But listeners, like as a collective, I'm just saying, (laughs) everything you do deserves the Nobel Prize. So treat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Treat yourself to a Nobel Prize today if you haven't. All right, well. (sighs) 
All right. Well, so I feel great now. <laughs> Do you? This is good. This will be a good uh, crib, crib, uh, crib sheet if I'm ever trying to encourage somebody and be like, how can I be more like Christy? I mean, you don't talk this ridiculously. Christy. I know. You're, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't. I don't mean no. that you talk like this, but uh, you know, this is like a. It's like a fun way to give somebody a really. I think I'm going to use it with my nine year old. So, oh, that's. Perfect. You should do it as a family. That would be funny. It'd be really funny. Well, like dinner table dinner kind of time, conversation. Dinner time. Yeah. Everybody yeah. pick a pep talk. Yep. Hey, speaking of treating talks. yourself. Anyway, we've got an incredible uh-huh. interview today. This we do. We do have some. We this yeah. Is, this was a so, great one. So uh, Bridget Eileen Rivera has written a book, "Heavy Burdens: Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church." And I came across Bridget mm. Eileen Rivera on Twitter, and all her tweet threads were like blowing my mind. And then uh, this book, yeah. I think, is incredible. She's it's an incredible gift to the church. Um, and so anyway, mm. I can't wait. I can't wait to re-listen to this interview. For. I can't wait for yeah. all of you to hear it as well. Yes, it, it was fantastic. Uh, Bridget has some, um, yeah, just some very unique thoughts um, that I I hadn't really yes. heard before in this space. Yeah. And so it's great. Um, <clears throat> just a couple things. We are starting a new Gravity Leadership Academy cohort this oh. month, um, hopefully. And so if you're interested in that, uh, check it out at gravityleadership.com slash academy. Um, there's all kinds of, uh, information mm. that you can get about that. Reach out if you have questions. Also, if you want to sign up for our free online community, you get curated links in your inbox every Friday, uh, go to gravityleadership.com slash join to join, uh, that community. And I'll send it, I'll send you an email every Friday. I promise. Um, and they're, mm. they're fun. Talk ideas. What's that? Oh. With pep talk ideas. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll send that the next time. That's a yeah, really good idea. Should. I should. Uh, there's one, for example, this past week, uh, this, there's one article that uh, just kind of blew my mind. It's Eugene McCarraher, uh, who wrote this article <laughs> called, You're a Slave to Money, Then You Die. Uh, but it's basically uh, some really... Kind of the opposite. <laughs> kind of the opposite of this. It's really encouraging. Yeah. It's the opposite of a pep talk. <laughs> Um, but it's like truth talk about mammon and markets and neoliberalism and why that all matters mm. immensely for our faith. Um, it's man, it's right up my alley. Uh, mm. and, I, and anyway, that's the kind of stuff that, that we like to share. Plus the hundred best TV shows of the 21st oh. century. Yes. Also made it in there. So come on. Some good I ones need on to look there. at that. Yeah. I, I started, there are some good ones and there are also, I got some good new ideas. I was like, Oh yeah. Don't you I feel like when we were kids, there were like two good shows on every six years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This right. it's like a whole new era. It's like a yeah. it's like completely different now. It's yep. it's crazy. Very different. All right. So anyway, those caveats, those uh, little essential blurbs out of the way. We should Blurb. get into Bridget yes. Eileen Rivera. Yes. Gird up your ear holes. Yeah. This is great. Here we go. <laughs> Bridget Eileen Rivera, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Bridget writes and speaks on faith, sexuality, and justice. 
Her website, Meditations of a Traveling Nun, is a leading resource on gay celibacy. Um, who has she has thousands of readers uh, every month, and she's worked with a lot of faith-based organizations, including Revoice, Christians for Social Action, and the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, where she contributed to the Digital Leaders Forum. You're pursuing a PhD uh, in the New York Graduate School or New York Graduate Center. Um, and you're active on social media, which is how I discovered you, Bridget. What else do we need to know about you? Well, um, one of the major things that I'm involved in is LGBTQ advocacy online. And so I do just a lot of, I, I have a lot of conversations um, specifically with Christians on how to um, love LGBTQ people better, how to include them in the church better, and uh, repent of past abuses. And so that's probably my my biggest focus, um, how I spend most of my time online and um, just kind of hosting conversations around that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's how I discovered you, and I've learned a lot. And then you have a book coming out in October. Uh, the title is Heavy Burdens. Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church, which is essentially maybe then a compendium or a summary of all this online advocacy that you've been doing. Um, yeah. what, what prompted you to write this book? Why, why is this book necessary and important for you right now? Yeah, well, um, I think probably the biggest thing that prompted me to write the book was just my own experiences in the conservative evangelical church. I was raised um, in a Reformed Baptist congregation and uh, have been highly involved uh, in my faith since the time I was very little. Um, And um, never in a million years could have imagined that I was gay until I started figuring it out uh, in my late teen years while I was in college, early 20s that time. And uh, it really completely altered my entire experience in the Christian faith. Um, I found that my status in the church just changed overnight. People started treating me different, thought of me differently, um, gossiping about me behind their behind my back. Um, just, you know, I had been very accustomed, um, to being welcomed with open arms in churches, uh, cause I had just been part of churches for so long. I knew how to kind of move and breathe in those social circles. Um, was very knowledgeable theologically. And so, you know, I was just very comfortable, um, in church spaces. And it was like, I became a pariah overnight and it was just, it was shocking Mm. to me. Um, I had never been, um, kind of pushed to the margins, um, ever in my life like that. Um, and it just, it fundamentally changed my relationship to the church. And I started trying to talk about it to people in my life Um, and it was like hitting a brick wall. Um, I had, uh, 
a lot of people tell me that uh, discrimination against LGBTQ people didn't exist anymore, that queer people were in a place of privilege in society, um, that, you know, whatever harms um, had previously existed against queer people no longer existed today. Um, and it was just, it was extremely, extremely frustrating to me um, hearing this over and over again, um, especially um, not just in light of my experiences, but in light of the experiences of friends that I had been making in the queer community and hearing their stories, um, hearing what had happened and gone on in their lives, um, and just being just devastated by what had happened to them, um, what had been done to them in the church. And um, it was like I couldn't get the Christians in my life to just to just see this. Um, and so when uh, the opportunity came for me to write a book, I was like, this is what I have to write about um, because um, I want people to see this finally. I want people to understand this finally um, and start talking about the real issues at the heart of this and start thinking about how to change, how to do better in the yeah. church. Yeah, one of the strengths of this book, Bridget, is that you start each—the the chapters are short, but each short chapter begins with a little biography of an LGBTQ Christian— and their experience um, in the Christian church as they come to reckon with the fact that they are gay. Uh, I, I actually had to put the book down a number of times just to feel all the things I was feeling about how awful their experiences were. Um, and I guess I want to ask, you talk about this a bit in your book, Bridget, but how did we get here? Like, how did we get to be a people? Maybe we'll just focus on, like, sort of the white Western Christian church. How do we get to be a people that doesn't know how to love LGBTQ persons? Yeah, well, it's, it's, there's a long backstory to where we find ourselves today um, that, honestly, in my book, could even go further back in history than where I begin. Um, but I begin in my book uh, kind of at the start of the Protestant Reformation because um, a lot of what we see today, uh, kind of the major narratives that we hear today, kind of begin there. Um, and those remain the most influential narratives up until this day. Um, and not even just within Protestant churches, but also within Catholic spaces as well, even though the, the Catholic church has official narratives that are different than Protestantism. Um, most everyday Catholics, I find in the polls kind of bear this out, actually accept Protestant narratives about sexuality. One of the things that I talk about in my book um, is that uh, Protestant Christians have a very similar narrative about human sexuality as the secular world does at large. And that's it, really interesting um, and kind of mind-boggling to many Christians that I know um, because the way that 
most, at least in my experience as I was growing up, conservative churches talk about, um, uh, I guess, how how they approach human sexuality. It's it's different than the world's. Um, it stands apart from how you know, the rest of society thinks about sex. Like the rest of of society is highly sex saturated. They're obsessed with having sex. Um, They are just going wild out there, you know, sleeping with whoever they want. Um, And so there's that narrative. And we in the church um, are pure and we follow God's law and we respect marriage and all of these things. Um, But underneath that that, you know, kind of, I don't know, concept that we have of ourselves of sexual purity, there is this narrative, nevertheless, that sex is the greatest experience of human existence. Um, And you see this all the time in the way that Christians talk about sex and marriage. Um, You see Christians kind of elevating human sexuality to uh, this place where marriage is the pinnacle, um, the the greatest relationship that you can possibly have. And uh, you can read marriage book after marriage book where sex is talked about within this as um, this fantastic experience. Um, So that's just interesting because the world often looks at this kind of, like the world often looks to Christians as like highly, highly sex saturated, but actually Christians have their own narrative about that. Um, And so you kind of have to look, I think, at um, kind of the posturing um, of how Christians talk about sex and marriage um, and the ways that Christians like to think about themselves with respect to how we are the sexually pure um, and the world is sexually sinful um, in order to understand where this kind of animosity toward gay people came from. Um, and you can kind of look at kind of the, the formation of the religious right in order to kind of understand that gay people kind of came to represent the pinnacle of everything that was sexually sinful about society. Um, They were the ultimate manifestation of it. Um, They kind of came to symbolize everything that was wrong uh, and uh, the destruction of the family. um, And they were going to... uh, take your children and uh, turn them gay also. Um, And like gay people just came to represent all of these things. And there was other things that were wrong too, but gay people, they symbolized it in people's minds. And they became this kind of public enemy, number one, when it came to morality. Um, And it was used and still is used to kind of, I don't know, get people together, to kind of motivate people to vote a certain way. And what, what you see is politicians, influential Christian political figures would get up and they'd kind of rally everyone together, you know, about this gay threat, 
you know, these gay people, the gay agenda, it threatens our religious liberties, it's threatening your children, it's threatening marriage, family, society as we know it. And so you have to vote for this political candidate. Otherwise, it's over for the church. And so it's become very, very tied to conservatism, very, very tied to certain political agendas, um, and very tied to the Christian conception of ourselves, Um, you know, setting ourselves up against gay people is, has become essentially part of the Christian identity in the West. And so it's very, very difficult for people to separate the two today. Um, And in my book, I I go further into that history um, and I go further back um, looking at like the development of this, but that kind of is like a small snapshot of how we got to where we are today. Yeah, that is, uh, that's, uh, that, (laughs) I mean, that describes a lot of, um, I grew up, you know, kind of evangelical, um, Christian and, uh, it does describe a lot of the messages that, um, that we just kind of, I don't know, we just absorb them, you know, from the, from the culture around the churches that we were part of. Just, it was just sort of known, you know, that all of these things uh, that, that, you, that you were talking about, you know, the gay agenda, all of these things that, that got spoken about. Um, and you're, <laughs> I mean, you're uh, actually very effectively um, kind of ramping up the fear. Like that, w- that was a good imitation of the tone and the tenor uh, of, those, um, uh, of those speeches. And uh, I think while I, while I never, I don't think I quite bought into the whole thing, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I don't think I was ever a culture warrior, but I didn't give it much thought. Right. It was just like, okay, well, that's, I don't know, that's probably true. Bad people all over the place, you know, that kind of thing. I never really gave it much thought. And I think one of the things that I've um, been, been learning and what I've learned from um, like following you online, uh, Bridget, is just that those, those messages are not only uh, false in terms of like it was a false representation of what was going on, um, but they were also deeply hurtful deeply harmful mm-hmm. to gay Christians, especially gay Christians, right? So these are people who are Christians, like they're following Jesus. They're trying, like, they're like you, they were trying to, they were trying to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when this aspect of their identity sort of uh, becomes, they become aware of it um, all of a sudden, like these harmful messages just get imputed onto those people rather than, um, I'm just struck by, I guess, the, um, the similarity to for example, the, the race, racism conversation when, you know, it's like, you know, black people can tell you like, hey, I'm experiencing harm. And there's this gaslighting impulse in the white evangelical church. You just say, no, you're not. Like racism's over. It's civil rights, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you're talking about the same kind of thing where it's like, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus and I'm gay. And the message back is, no, that can't be right. You're probably mm-hmm. secretly part of the gay agenda or mm-hmm. you're just confused or, you know what I mean? Like there's this harmful gaslighting that happens. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm struck by that. I, I was trying to work my way into a question. I don't think I have one. I'm just uh, <laughs> reflecting on what yeah. you said, Bridget. Thank well, you for one thing, those words. Oh, no, yeah. And I so appreciate you bringing this up because one thing that that brings to mind um, is that not only when a queer person starts figuring out their queer, not only 
do Christians kind of respond to them with this narrative of you can't be Christian, like, you know, like you must be, uh, you know, living in your sin and you need to repent and, you know, not be gay anymore. Um, That narrative not only exists outside, but queer people themselves, when they, queer Christians themselves, often when they start figuring out that they're queer, they've been raised with this narrative too. And so now all of a sudden, that narrative becomes a narrative that they apply to themselves. Mm. And it's, it's absolutely devastating for many queer people because they've been told their entire lives that queer people are inherently sinful, that God hates them, that they can't be a Christian, that they're going to hell. And now all of a sudden, those things are true of them. And it's like, oh my gosh, And I know many, many queer people who, uh, when they figured out that they were queer, um, they believed that God hated them. They believed that God couldn't love them, um, that they were condemned uh, to hell. Um, And it's incredibly, incredibly devastating. And um, it's one of the major things that drives many uh, Christians to suicide. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. You mentioned seven ways that LGBTQ Christians have been harmed, and you kind of combined two there. One is this pathologizing of the gay identity, right? Um, so that so that understanding yourself as gay is all automatically sort of um, pathologized as perverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then the other one was basically having a sexualized identity. So one of the things I learned in your book, Bridget, was that the the words gay and lesbian were protest words. Yep. They were yep. protest words by a people who were labeled with a sexual identity to say, do not identify us based upon sex. Could you, could you maybe unpack that a bit for us? Because I think it's important, because what happens is uh, gay people lose that they ha- they're made in the image of God. They lose their created goodness because a sexualized identity is projected onto them that's perverse and pejorative. So could you, could you just, I mean, could you maybe tell our listeners this is part of your book, how gay and lesbian were protest words against against the thing they get blamed for now, which is yeah. sexualizing their identity. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting when you study this history and, and you study the ongoing uh, legacy of things like queer theory. Um, when uh, you look at the development of like kind of Freudian 
psychology. Freud was the big one who developed the concept of homosexuality um, as this uh, thing, this this uh, result of perverted development, he believed, um, sometimes called arrested development. And what it was, um, was uh, saying that, you know, these people um, were sexually perverse and this is how it happened because something went wrong in their development somewhere. And that kind of like became the definitive way of talking about quote-unquote, homosexual people overnight. And what you see in society is you see this entire group of people in the blink of an eye becoming identified by sexual perversion. And that is what defines them. That is how they are treated. And, like, this whole group of people um, come into existence overnight and are uh, pathologized as perverts. Um, And uh, you see during this time uh, experimentation being done uh, and in in the effort to cure them of these things during the Holocaust, um, gay people were rounded up and thrown into concentration camps. And one thing that um, is not known um, about that period is that when the Allies came in to free the people that were put in concentration camps, the gay people were not liberated. They were thrown back in prison um, and continued being subjected to things like experimentation in order to cure them. So what you see during this time is society defining gay people by by sex, by sexual perversion. um, And that was uh, one of the major things that the gay rights movement was pushing back against um, and reasserting their humanity in the face of this stigma. And so um, the reason why words like gay and lesbian became so important to the, the gay rights movement is because um, it pushed back against this sexualizing. You know, the word homosexual was extremely pathological, extremely sexualized. And gay people were like, no, no, we are not defined in that way. That is not who we are. We are gay. We are lesbian. We are human. And we deserve the same human rights that everybody else receives Mm. uh, in civilization in the world. Um, And that remains like very foundational to queer thought to this day. One of the things that people don't know is that queer theory is one of the strongest critics of sexual orientation as an identity ca- category that that yeah. that you know defines yeah. people. Um, and uh, most queer language develops um, as a form of protest, as a form of asserting. Um, humanity, asserting human identity, um, which is one of the reasons why you see queer language evolving so much and changing so much because queer people are constantly trying to find new words um, Mm. to respond to the ways that society is stigmatizing who they are. 
Um, and yeah. so that's one of the reasons why queer language develops so quickly, changes so fast. The words that are in today are not going to be the words that are in tomorrow because people mm -hmm. are constantly trying to find new ways to, again, protest society's stigma. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, I find it, I mean, Matt, you alluded to this, but I find it so deeply ironic that these words were developed in order to sort of free identity from over-sexualized categories. And now there's all kinds of churches, I know of two at least, that are releasing statements about how, like, well, gay Christians, you shouldn't call yourself gay because that's making your identity about sex, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the exact opposite was true. It's like, no, you did that. Yep. <laughs> like, you yeah. did that. This is our attempt to say, no, we're more than that. Yeah. And then, you know, this, again, the gaslighting continues, right? Just to come back and say, no, actually what you're doing is you're sexualizing your identity. We know what you're doing and you need to stop it. And here's yep. how you need to talk about yourselves. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what goes on. Yeah. Yeah, Bridget. So we're having this conversation and I think there's a lot of listeners. We have a lot of listeners who would uh, take a traditional sexual ethic as they read the scriptures. Uh, and then we have a lot of listeners that I think are what is described as open and affirming in terms of how they interpret the scriptures. What I appreciate about your book is that you you actually aren't taking one of those stances. Like this isn't this isn't a book that's advocating for open and affirming or advocating for um, necessarily traditional sexuality explicitly. What you are doing is you're holding the traditional church accountable for the harm that it's done to LGBTQ persons but you're not asking them to basically uh, get on board with gay activists, um, right? I mean, is that a fair categorization of, of what you're doing? Yeah, I, I would say that most people that follow me that are familiar with my work know that I follow a traditional sexual ethic. They know that I'm celibate. So they know that, you know, I don't, necessarily think that traditional sexual ethics uh, need to be inherently harmful to the queer community. Um, I think that they've often been weaponized against the queer community. Um, but I do think that there is a way to um, approach traditional sexual ethics from a place that uh, offers spiritual freedom to those who choose to follow um, traditional ethics. And um, I, I write my book towards that audience, towards an audience that, you know, still believes in a traditional sexual ethic, because I think that's the part of the church that has the hardest time figuring mm -hmm. out how to love queer yes. people well, um, mm -hmm. while nevertheless having these traditional beliefs. And, you know, our beliefs, we can't really change what we believe, um, like those kind, like our convictions are our convictions, um, but we can change how we approach them. Uh, we can change um, how you know we uh, how we talk about them, um, and we can change how we behave um, and you know the way we treat other people. So you know that's kind of where my book is coming from. Being like, hey, I'm not trying to you know force you to you know, change necessarily what you believe about marriage. Um, you know, I share those similar beliefs. Mm -hmm. What I'm asking you to do is change how you treat people, change how you think about um, queer issues um, yeah. and, you know, how you approach this topic. 
Yeah. 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 I, I hear in that, Bridget, what I think is so helpful and such needed work is you, you talked earlier about the stigma and the, the sort of the, the vitriol that got turned up, right? To just, to, just to be gay was to be sort of like evil or like disgusting or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, like as Matt alluded to, there's a variety of ways of reading the scriptures, you know, and a variety of convictions that people can come to about this. What is, what is, <laughs> what is absolutely more clear if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to follow Jesus, is that treating people the way that gay people have been treated is not okay. Like, that's actually clear, right? And so yeah. I appreciate that about your ministry and about your your book, that it um, it makes those sort of, it makes those issues the issues to say, you know, hey, we can come to a variety of conclusions about this, but here's the issue. Here's the actual issue is the way that these people have been treated is wrong, and it's not Christian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it. what keeps coming to mind is people are sick and tired of hearing that God loves them. They need to see it. Yes, exactly. They need to see it. And we have not, as a church, done a good job at loving people, helping them see the label that they actually need to live into is belovedness. Not whatever your sexuality is, not your gender, not your whatever, but but the fact that you are a beloved child of God, that is your beginning point. And we we do not start there. Um, Just recently, I met with a friend at a coffee shop. I didn't really know her very well. And um, she had some questions about Jesus. And I was like, great, what are your questions? And she said, well, first of all, you know I'm gay, right? And I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, my friend Monet told me you know, that's okay. Tell me what, what are your questions about Jesus? And she's like, well, do you want to hear about my sexuality stuff first? And I was like, no, I, I thought we were meeting about the fact that you had questions about Jesus. And she's like, yeah, but most church people, the first thing they actually care about is not talking to me about things about Jesus. The first thing they care about is hearing about my sexuality. And I'm like, we have missed it. We have missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly true. Um, and I think one of the things that we've done is we've turned it into an issue. Um, we've yeah. turned it into about, you know, theology, about doctrine, about how you think. Um, and we've lost people in the midst of it. Um, and so we have all these debates about the definition of marriage and, you know, what this verse says and what that verse says. And, We've lost people in the midst of it. And to your point, we've lost Jesus. We've lost the gospel. Um, and what the gospel ultimately says about who people are and the safety and security that they have in Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and yeah. I would say that our listeners across the board, they take different positions. But as a group of people, and if we have to err on any side, may we err on the posture being in love mm-hmm. um, is just, yeah. I'm going to get my preach on. I'm just going to be quiet. That's all right. Rant away, <laughs> Christy. Um, Bridget, you you focus on t- two main things, I think. Uh, this is my summary, so if uh, I need corrected, by all means. But you focus on um, what's normally seen as clear, you focus on unclarifying it. So yes. often we're told, it's clear. Uh, homosexuality is condemned. And so you do good work in a very short period of time, very accessible, uh, to unclarify that. And then 
Um, and then the other work is consistency. So you point to how inconsistent we are in dealing with various things, even, even if we take a traditional sexual ethic, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, about people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Um, there's, there's a couple words in there that, you, that we all think are clear, that you actually show aren't as clear as we think they are, but then you show the consistency, right? Because we have people who are greedy mentioned right next to the clear passages, I'm putting that in scare quotes for anybody who can't see, about, quote, homosexuality, which didn't occur in the Bible until 1946, right? So you have that, but then, so we, so I guess, Chrissy, what I'm saying, and then, Bridget, I want to hear what your response is. The I have never met with a rich person in a coffee shop who wanted to know about Jesus, who said, don't you want to talk about my greed first? Come on. <laughs> they never say that. Why? Because we don't make greed as concomitant with whatever we think is going on with LGBTQ people. We yeah. are not consistent in the way that we apply scripture. And yeah. the reason we aren't, Bridget, you re referenced this, now it's my turn to rant, Christy. You referenced this <laughs> earlier. We have been co-opted by a culture war that is demonic, that prevents us from seeing and living in the kingdom of God. And we, we have a syncretistic ethic and a syncretistic way of being in the world that is hurting people. By the way, First Corinthians yes. 6 says abusive people also won't inherit the kingdom of God. So, all that to say, whew, Bridget, uh, is, this, is, is this a fair framing of your book that you are taking things we think are clear and saying maybe they aren't as clear as we, as we think they are, and, and then you're questioning whether or not we're being consistent in how we apply Scripture? Yeah, I'd say that's a that's a pretty good uh, framing of I guess the the approach that I take. And yeah, to to your example, um, you know, American society and and American Christians are the wealthiest people that have mm -hmm. ever existed in the history of the world. Period. Um, and but I've never spoken to a, a Christian that is worried that, you know, possibly they, you know, are being greedy with their wealth. Um, and yeah, we have all of these sins that are talked about in scripture as being, um, you know, condemned by God. Uh, but, but we kind of give people grace to figure out what that means for themselves. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to queer people and queer people trying to figure out what the expectations mean for themselves, um, whether or not um, they're allowed to have sex, whether or not they're allowed to get married. For some reason, we're like, nope, this is what this means for you. This is how you have to live. And it's end of story. Um, and we, we give so much grace to other people you know, to just kind of figure it out and figure out, you know, what God's expectations are for them. You know, we have these, you know, sins that we know exist out there. Um, but, you know, there's so much grace for figuring out how to apply that to your life. Uh, and, you know, that the, the same cannot be said for, for queer people. And um, it's, it's incredibly inconsistent and ultimately harmful uh, to queer people and, and, you know, even confusing, too, and frustrating 
um, because queer people see um, how, you know, straight people in the church want all the grace for themselves but are unwilling to give it to them. Uh, and it's, it's incredibly frustrating uh, and makes it um, very isolating within the church. Well, you do such good work in this book, Bridget. Uh, this book could be three times as long as it is. I'm sure that occurred to you as you wrote it. Yeah, um, there are so many things that I wanted to talk about and just <laughs> didn't have space in it, you know, but I, I tried to just name the things that I hoped would be most essential. Yeah. Yes. You, you, you talk about the history of interpretation of Scripture, things that used to be obvious to us, things like divorce is wrong and remarriage after divorce is wrong and contraception is obviously wrong and how, how they aren't obviously wrong now. You tell a story in your book about how Christians, like thousands, maybe millions, millions maybe, killed each other in Europe 500 years ago mm-hmm. over whether you could baptize uh, should baptize babies or believers. Like we have, we have in our past, in our story, put our stake in the ground in places and thought it's better for me to kill you than to let you be wrong. And now we look at that and we, and sometimes we laugh, but we should shudder and it should cause us to reflect that maybe the stakes we have in the ground are just as misguided. Mm-hmm. And I think your, your book does a great job in bringing a humility and a freedom to let us have this conversation, Bridget, centered on Christ, centered on on the, the love of the kingdom, and centered on people who are actually hurting yeah. and tending to their cries. I mean, God heard the cries of Egypt uh, because they were oppressed, and it moved him to act. And so may we imitate God and love one another like that. Uh, Bridget, I just thank you for this book. I, I, think, um, I think it's the most important book I've read this year. And, uh, and I'm going to continue to talk about it on social media. Uh, it's probably going to get me in trouble uh, <laughs> because I don't, think, I don't think the church is ready for this book. Mm. Um, but it's so important. So uh, bless you for taking the time to write it. Bless you for the emotional labor that it probably took for you to write this book. Yes. And bless you that you are still a Christian, mm-hmm. that you still love Jesus. We see that, and it deeply encourages me and I'm sure our listeners. Um, So thank you for being with us today, Bridget. Yeah, and I thank you so much for inviting me. And I just, I so appreciate uh, what you guys are doing and the conversations you guys are hosting. And so thank you. So we mentioned you on social media earlier, and there's going to be some people now that want to learn from you and connect with you. So tell us how to find the traveling nun on (laughs) uh, the socials. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, my handle is Traveling Nun. Um, so just, you know, search me on there and you can follow me. I'm, I'm pretty active on social media. And so, you know, you'll be able to kind of get some of my unfiltered thoughts on there. Um, and uh, you can find me on my website, BridgetEileenRivera.com. Um, and that kind of has all the main links to get you to kind of what I'm doing and things like that. Uh, and then you can pre-order my book on Amazon. So, uh, you know, just yeah. do a search for Heavy Burdens by Bridget Eileen Rivera. It'll pop right up and um, give it a pre-order. Yeah. 
Yes. In, in fact, I was just looking at our editorial calendar, though, and this interview will probably not be published until after the book is already available. Oh. So oh. great news, listeners. You can just <laughs> order it. And it'll you don't be, need, uh, you don't it'll need be, to pre-order. It'll be just coming order. Uh, in two days. Fantastic. Ben. Yeah. Give it an order then um, yep. and share it with other people. Yeah. yeah. And Ben, you, will the link to the book be in the show notes? Yeah, we're going to put all this in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yep. The, the book title again is Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. Bridget, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.